The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome to this, another episode of the Brodo World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, his name, Ian Harditz, and he is still energetically John Daigle. Gentlemen, how are we? I am energetically good, Josh. How about you? <laughs> it's We have to figure out our own thing, man. This is true. I don't think Ian likes my thing. Well, it's it's unique. This is it's why different. I delete it usually when I send you emails, unless I'm walking to get coffee in the morning, and then it's okay. I just send a quick sentence and leave energetically John on there, and then Ian responds to the whole thread saying that's wild, and then just logs off. <laughs> it is, and that's okay. I appreciate the wild size of you, John. Which yes, pretty much the only wild side I can think of is that you sign emails energetically, John. Ian, thank thanks for uh, dressing up today. Appreciate it, bud. I am rocking some nice. Air Force. I'm not Air talking about Forces the shoes. I'm talking about the shirt. You can't even see the shirt. Even nicer. Tony Montana Scarface uh-huh. shirt. I was uh, telling you guys before we started here, look, every group can have one t-shirt guy. And, like, that's what I strive to be. You guys can look great. You guys can have all, you know. The glitz and the glamour. You guys can get the GQ interviews. But I'm, I'm going to be the one here in my t-shirt, the most comfortable of the group. Perhaps a hot take. Maybe not. Henry Hill, Sam Rothstein second, and then Tony Montana. As long as Henry Hill's first, we're, we're on the same page. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's bad that I don't even know who these guys are. Oh, Goodfellas Casino, then <laughs> Scarface, so Josh. we got to get you watching movies. Look, that's what the offseason is for. Maybe maybe this is what I need to do. I need to start a list of all the best movies I've never seen and like report back to you. Instead of a book club, this is going to be like movie club. This is a side business idea. You have to get approval from our bosses, obviously. Yes. But Josh, Josh makes a friend, and then you watch movies. While also, Josh makes a friend. That might be the difficult part. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the difficult part. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, look at you. Florist by day, student by night. Student by day, nurse by night. Since 1998, Penn State World Campus has led the charge in online education, offering access to more than 175 in-demand programs taught by our expert faculty. We offer flexible schedules, scholarships, and tuition plans to help you reach your educational goals online. Penn State World Campus delivers on your time. Click the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. That's worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. On this episode, we'll actually have Roto Pat joining us a little bit later on. Pat's segment of the week it should be a fun one. I got a beef, but we'll, we'll discuss it then. We oh. will discuss it then. Uh, also, in the meat of the show, in the middle, I wrote a mock draft. That is up on Roto World right now. Do not go and check it out at this moment. No, wait until the end. Wait until our discussion. Then go and give me a Fair. click and go and check it out. But. This website is built on blurbs. This website is built on news. So as always, we have to start there. And I always say it. There's not enough player-for-player trades in the NFL. And this one involved two teams swapping, basically, offensive line talent. Russell Kuhn goes to the Carolina Panthers. Trey Turner goes to the Chargers. Trey Turner has been the starting right guard for the Panthers for a very long time. And now Russell Kuhn joins Carolina at age, what, 31 or 32 on this high-priced deal, Ian Harditz, what did you think of it when you saw it on your Twitter feed? I mean, we talked about it in our previous podcast this week where it was just rumors at that point, and our kind of takeaway was, well, if Trey Turner can be sent somewhere, then who the heck is safe in Carolina? And yeah. now he has been sent somewhere. So, once again, I'm asking, who the heck is safe in Carolina? Was there a player-for-player player deal at the trade deadline? Was hmm. Keep Tlaib swap for a player? Hmm. Duke Johnson for Martinez Rankin happened at the beginning of the year. Martinez Rankin is a name I've not heard in quite some time. Well, we're going to have a segment. We may talk about him. But, but uh, I don't recall the trade deadline. Anyhow, my initial reaction to the deal was it was seemingly an NBA-like tank, not what the Dolphins are doing, but unique, and that taking on cap, expiring cap, thus clearing your cap the entire way for the following year. Yeah. So like a fresh start every year until you figure out what you're doing. Because as you said on the last episode, the Panthers really don't know what they're doing themselves. I could understand it from that viewpoint. I would say the differences in contracts are drastically different, though, from NBA to NFL, because in NBA, they are fully guaranteed contracts, Mm -hmm. and that's why bad teams want to acquire those, because they can have future cap space in the future. This isn't necessarily that case, because we mentioned it. Russell Kuhn's on a one-year deal, about $16 million this year. The fourth highest cap it among all offensive linemen. And Trey Turner basically has two years left on his contract, around 20 to 25, something like that, in total for those two seasons. But... If you wanted to cut Trey Turner heading into the 2021 year, so really just make it a one-year contract, you could do that. You would have lost $6 million in cap space and dead money. So really this trade kind of comes down to, if you're just looking at it from a money perspective, it's that $6 million difference between having Russell Okung for one season and Trey Turner for two. But it's not just that. Like, this is very layered. And I think that in a Panthers team that we have talked about so much already, if there was picks involved here... It would make a lot more sense to me, but just purely from a football and team building perspective, this doesn't make too much sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me either, but I'm also left like the Chargers won this trade. They got I totally agree. The better lineman on a pretty affordable deal, as you're saying. And I keep look we don't know if Tyrod Taylor is gonna be the week one starter for the Chargers next year, but even if he is, like I kinda like this offense. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, they're probably gonna be franchise tagging and Hunter Henry. Seems like Austin Eckler is gonna be back. The offensive line was the weak point, and they just tried to address that. We know they got difference makers on defense. You know, I know every single year it's like, oh, Chargers got the talent, how are they gonna screw it up, but we're once again looking at a pretty talented roster going to 2020. The Chargers won in a vacuum, but the Panthers still won if this is what they're trying to accomplish. Hmm. 
Hmm. I, I don't know if it is. And, and again, that, I don't know if they know that's what it is. That's a good point because from our seat, we don't know all the details, right? right? And these are kind of the details that I've pieced together somewhat. The Panthers have a new offensive line coach, obviously, under Matt Rule, and he was the same offensive line coach mm-hmm. with, for Russell Okung. So, obviously, on paper, that says he pulled for his guy. He wanted him in Carolina. There's also to the part of this with Trey Turner that he probably wanted a new deal. You know, this is a five-time Pro Bowler who only has two years left in his contract. Joe Tooney's in free agency, and if Tooney gets a contract, then, you know, that'll bump Trey Turner even further down. He doesn't want that. He wants to be paid as one of the highest guys. And right now, the Panthers aren't in a spot where they're dishing out these contracts. But, again, I think it shows behind closed doors what we don't know. But at the same time, we still can judge someone like Marty Herney, right, a general manager who made Greg Little a priority player in last year's draft. And who had two concussions, a foot, a high ankle sprain. And right now he's not even listed as a starter after trading for him in the second round. So I I think we can go back to the evaluation process and Marty and still wonder if he actually knows what he's doing in this instance. Yeah, I mean, last year the Panthers per over the cap only spent, I mean, the 30th highest somehow in the league on the offensive line. So it's kind of been annoying even throughout Cam Newton's entire tenure there, how they've treated the offensive line, just kind of like, you know, we'll figure that out. Similar to Seattle in that way. I really wish they would focus more on line scrimmage and then elsewhere because, again, they have the skill position pieces, but if they can't do anything up front, it's going to be a problem moving the ball. And now, despite Okung's $15 million cap hit hanging over the organization, they're projected to roughly enter the offseason with $24 million, which is the 10th lowest amount hmm. of cap space. So it's just an interesting offseason altogether for them. And they already have $35 million in dead money for this cap, and I think that that's like almost $20 million ahead of the second-place team. Jeez. Look, once the Panthers show process, I will understand what they're doing. They have yet to show that they understand it. And this is a perfect example. We can go to our second trade that we saw this week, and that is A.J. Boye being shipped from the Jaguars to the Denver Broncos for a fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft. Like, this is a player who has talent, just like Trey Turner, and had a contract that they wanted to move. And instead of just getting some player for a season, they said, okay, we want – draft capital because we're in a rebuilding situation. And I understand what both sides are doing in the Broncos-Jaguars trade. And that's why, to me, it makes much more sense. Yeah, I kind of love this for Denver, honestly. I mean, I don't think A.J. Boye is like this elite number one corner these days, but he's still a, you know above average corner, I think, by most people's uh, definition. He can at the very least slide into this Vic Fangio defense and I think help it a lot. Because look, last year, Broncos were already very far on that side of the ball. They were 10th in points per game allowed, 13th in overall defensive DBA. That was with Bradley Chubb missing 12 games. That was with uh, free agent slot cornerback addition Bryce Callahan not playing a single snap. So they're going to lose Chris Harris. Like they, that almost certainly going to happen. They got a, at least a decent replacement for him. If Drew Locke can give them anything on offense, guys, if the Chargers and Raiders are taking a step back, mm. I think the Broncos can fight for a wild card. Now. And remember, Vic Fangio with the Bears targeted Bouye in the 2017 offseason because he felt like he needed, he felt like he fit his scheme. So this is a, clearly them targeting a particular player. Having said that, I don't think it's egregious, but Boye, uh, Boye being due the seventh highest cap hit among all cornerbacks in the league for a fourth-round pick, I'm not sure. It just also seems like the Jags, as we know, we've talked about them not knowing what they want to do either uh, or perhaps not having winning at the forefront of their plans. It just seems like an odd move unless Jacksonville really did just want to shed that money. I, th- I think they did. I mean, it's $13 million this season, $13 million in 2021. No guaranteed money on either side of that, so I just wonder – if, you know, now Boye gets a contract that he wanted. We just never know the player's intention in any of this, right? They might say, okay, get me out of here if you're not going to give me any more guaranteed money. And I would understand that from their perspective. But at least we do see Jacksonville 
hopefully heading in the right direction with just this trade. I mean, acquiring more draft capital is a positive. I will say their roster defensively is not that much of a positive right now because it's still going to go through this massive change. Like we already heard that Marcel Darius isn't going to be in there. Calais Campbell has been mentioned as a possible cut. Their outside starting corners right now without A.J. Boye are some guy named Trey Herndon and Perry Nickerson. D.J. Hayden's a very good slot corner, but like it's that defense with just two years ago was considered one of the best in the NFL, has certainly taken a nosedive. And it's never like, I'm sorry, Jacksonville couldn't get this accomplished. It's always like a meme and a tweet. See ya, I am out of here. And like (laughs) their teammates are just happy for them. They escaped. None of these trades will become official until the start of the league year, which is March 18th. Mm -hmm. But obviously they're both written in pencil right now. Uh, The Packers are expected to part ways with tight end Jimmy Graham. This is a player who has been on their roster for, what, two or three seasons Never really got it going with the Packers, did he, Ian Hardit? Just the most recent kind of free agent tight end bust that we've seen kind of come through Green Bay. First, it was Martellus Bennett. We had Jared, it might have been Jared Cook first, but Jared Cook, Martellus Bennett, Jimmy Graham all over these last kind of half decade of time. None of them have gotten anything going. Jermichael Finley is the only tight end that Aaron Rodgers has even had like any amount of prolonged success with. No tight end under Aaron Rodgers has ever gained over 800 yards in a season. So I'm, I'm not sure why they keep putting so many resources kind of in the tight end position when we have a bunch of evidence that Rodgers, you know, is typically going to look for his wide receivers, you know, just guys that can create more downfield. So I'm curious to see how they address in free agency because we're getting these Austin Hooper rumors, yep. and I would just so much rather see them go get Robbie Anderson or go get more of a field stretcher guy than keep trying to address his tight end position that we've seen again and again just Rodgers doesn't really throw to. You think Robbie Anderson would be a better fit than Austin Hooper? Absolutely. Captain check down Austin Hooper, yeah. I think no. I think Austin Hooper would be a better fit. Uh, but whatever the case, they still invested a third rounder into Jay Sternberger, who was a receiving threat um, from Ro- former Aggie great, by the way. Texas A&M. Uh, former Aggie great. Uh, With John Daigle. Robert Robert Ta- Robert Tanyan <laughs> showed well in the preseason. Stop it. I know he. I'm not saying he can be <laughs> like an immediate twelve personnel option. Yeah. That's fine. But you he showed done. well in the preseason. Yes, he can be your third tight end. Those players matter, Josh. So yes. I would take Tanyan right now over Jimmy Graham, which is what they essentially did. I mean, not to be completely reflective here, but it's a situation where you just look back on and wonder why they just didn't stick with Jared Cook. Because Jared Cook is still a one of the premier tight ends in the NFL. Another player who took a while to get going. But, you know, you had the experiment with Martellus Bennett. You had the experiment with Jimmy Graham. I mean, Jimmy Graham, just prior to the... Packers was not a bad player. He had 10 touchdowns his final season with Seattle. And look at the yards per target. I know. Yards per target was not there, but at least as an end zone weapon. It just shows you, though, you know, a tight end does not fit with every single quarterback in the exact same way because, obviously, with that Seahawks team, he was used perfectly in the red zone. And that's why if you are going to have one, make it someone like Jared Cook, that even if you aren't throwing the ball, they still have that speed to kind of force defenses to respect them down the middle of the field. Even when they aren't getting targets, they can still be effective. That's why I worry about Austin Hooper. Like, yes, he's talented, but why are we going to pay this guy, like, a top five player to position when we have one season of evidence of him kind of being a high-volume producer, and that was on an absolutely terrible offense that usually only gave him the ball once they were trailing multiple scores. Even if it is Austin Hooper, though, they're going to address it in other ways as well. Like, they're not stopping at just Austin Hooper. They're grabbing one or two more receivers. Hmm. Next news item. The NFL Network's Mike Garofalo reports the Jaguars are, quote, not shopping Nick Foles. That was the headline. This was a bit of a non-story or a non-report in many ways because there's 
Daigle, a big difference between not shopping and then also not trading. So it certainly sounds like this team wants to trade Nick Foles, but they aren't going out of their way to be like, oh, yes, we want to shop this guy. So I was on news when this happened. Okay. So I cited everything carefully and I listened to the video I'm several times. I'm not calling you out. No, no, no. I, I listened to the video several times because I kept repeating in my head, this is a non story. This yes. doesn't matter at all. But. The news pays the bills, so guess what? The Jaguars are not shopping Nick Foles, but he said that the Jaguars are listening, which kind of rings a bell to the Cam Newton situation. It just seems like, hey, mm. they're not getting offers, which makes sense given his cap hit. But there's the other side of this, Ian, because Garofalo emphasized that Doug Marone and the organization are approaching the situation as an open competition. Which he also b- said. Between Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles. Do you believe that for a second? I mean, probably not, but, like, if you're trading Boye, if you're not going to pay Yannick, like, clearly these guys are moving towards an all-out rebuild, but, you know, when you're keeping your coach, like, it's when Marone's kind of on his, like, last, last chance now, and the organization is rebuilding, but he doesn't want to rebuild because he's coaching for his job, it's just a complete dumpster fire in Jacksonville, which we've kind of been talking about. I would love to see them try to get rid of Foles, but as you said, like, with Cam Newton, they want to get rid of these quarterbacks, but when their value is at, like, an all-time low, it's going to be hard to get any sort of return Let's say it is an open competition, though. It's so Jacksonville that they're sabotaging themselves, even if they are rebuilding and not seeing what they have long-term with Minshew on his rookie deal. Yeah, I don't believe it. Like, it's just, oh, you, you don't think, you think they're Minshew no matter what. Yes, I do. Okay. But it's truly also not just a team that can maximize their window on a rookie deal because at the same time you're paying I'm not calls. even talking maximizing. I'm just talking about, like, filling it out. Let's just see what happens. I know, but it's also kind of like the the Dak-Tony Romo situation, right? Because they were still paying Tony Romo even if they had Dak on this, like, 800 grand contract per year. So it wasn't truly as much of a Carson Wentz rookie deal contract. You look at the team-building perspective of it. Minshew wasn't perfect as a rookie. He had 13 fumbles, way too many. He's fun. He's fun. fun. He was very, like, if you just look at the rookie quarterbacks of started eight games, like, he was very, very efficient. Like, he did more than enough to warrant ex- It was uh, the overall QB 10 when he got benched in week nine hmm. in fantasy. Doug Marone was very adamant talking about Gardner Minshew at the NFL Combine, st- stating that his raw statistics were better than any rookie quarterback out there. So, I mean, to me, if you read between the lines, it certainly sounds like he will be the starting quarterback. Also, never forget that Dak doesn't start behind Romo unless Kellen Moore breaks his ankle in training camp. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. All right, producer Chris, sound those trumpets. Oh, yes. You guys hear that? Yeah, we'll have to cover from Josh. You hear those trumpets? I wrote a damn article on this website. He writes columns a week. can't get any trumpets. I wrote an article on this website. That is a mock draft. And whenever that happens, boom, we bring in the big money trumpets. Yes. The mock draft is up. As Let's you're seeing on the video, draft. yeah, we have a graphic. Look at that Look graphic. That's that beautiful. Pretty. It is nice. Well done. We got the social team on it as well. Um, I don't really have like a form of how I want to go through this mock. I will read how about the top five, and then I will let 
you all ask me questions of the column that I wrote here. Fair. Again, on rotorol.com. Number one, quarterback Joe Burrow to the Cincinnati Bengals. Two, Tua Tagovailoa. Tungovailoa from Alabama, obviously, to the Washington Redskins. Chase Young, the pass rusher to the Detroit Lions. We're not going to stop in between and discuss these. Makai Becton, four to the New York Giants. Five, Isaiah Simmons to the Miami Dolphins. Now, go ahead, John Dagle. What did you have to say? I'll start. So, Tua, he's awesome. He's also apparently got quite a few hip problems. Hmm. Do we really think, I know we've seen Kyler, we've seen Baker, like teams are more and more taking these off-script quarterbacks and maybe don't fit the conventional mold as much, but... Justin Herbert, you know, we're hearing these rumors that a lot of teams still have him as the number one quarterback. They even had him as the number one quarterback last year. I don't know. With those injury questions, like how confident are you Tua is the number two quarterback off the board? So these are two separate topics. I'll start off with Tua. Um, Matt Moneysmith spoke on the Around the NFL podcast that he heard around Indianapolis that Tua's surgery is quite different than any other surgeries we hear about for draft prospects. In fact, it was deemed a trauma surgery, which is quite different than kind of like a, and I'm no doctor, but a longevity surgery. You know, when you repair a knee so it can be capable of playing football for 10 or 20 years or whatever it is. Um, that is an unknown. That is unchartered territory for NFL teams. And you know this and you know this from following the NFL just from the outside. Teams hate to be the first on anything. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, yes, I fully believe these glowing reports that Ian Rappaport and whoever else put out during NFL Combine Week that, yo, Tua's medical is perfect. I don't know that. And even if it is, again, it's a knee. Excuse me. It's a hip. It's not a knee. It's not a shoulder. It's something new. So I would say that maybe there are concerns around the league about that. Does that make sense? And I also want to point out, we talked about this on Tuesday with the Washington Redskins, that this could be their Patrick Mahomes, their Deshaun Watson moment, that instead of sticking with Dwayne Haskins, they get a quarterback that they maybe believe in more. I'm not saying Haskins was bad. I'm saying, did he show you enough to move on from maybe a quarterback that you think is better in this case? And I think if they're in this position here at number two, Tua makes total sense if they fully believe in it. Honestly, if the if Joe Burrow was not from Ohio, I yeah. would say Tua even is in the picture for the number one overall pick. But mm-hmm. I think the Bengals already have their mind made up. Of course, Mike Brown is the one to screw that up. But Well, I'd all, I would also say that Joe Burrow had like statistically the best season ever sure. in college football history. One year. Yeah. You also asked about Justin Herbert, Ian Hardis. Yeah. Let's go to number six. I have him going to the Los Angeles Chargers. This is somewhat dot connecting. One, Herbert and Jordan Love were mentioned quite a bit during the NFL Combine. Um, I want to point you to Kim Jones's report on the field right before Combine activity started. She mentioned that there is one team out there that she has spoken to that believes Justin Herbert is the most talented passer in 2020 and also believed he was the number one passer. That's what I was talking about, yeah. In 2019. Um, that's important. And I mean, this is, you know, we're just trying to, pick out threads here and go Mm -hmm. from dot A to dot B. But I remember back when Tom Telesco drafted Joey Bosa. And no one knew they were going to draft Joey Bosa at the time. People thought like Ronnie Stanley, a number of other players. And he said, I've been waiting to draft you for two years because I loved your evaluation for two years. So if I was to think of one GM who might have wanted to draft Justin Herbert for years and years and years and had this evaluation up on the board already, it could be that same place with Tom Telesco here with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Does that make sense? Did I explain myself Absolutely. correctly? Absolutely. No, that's connecting the dots. That's what and I like to hear. with Anthony Lynn up on the podium speaking glowingly, about Tyrod Taylor, saying, oh, yeah, we, he could absolutely be our starter. To me, that speaks that this team 
is not going to make a splash in free agency at the quarterback position. No, instead they're looking at a draft pick in mind and then Taylor being the starter most likely as they lead into training camp. I think it's really interesting because I would argue every team is aware both Fields and Trevor Lawrence come out next year. Hmm. So they also maneuver in this draft according to what they believe happens next year as well as this year. That's what I'm kind of wondering with the Dolphins because you know, the, the, the love, the Jordan love for love is just in, insane right now. I agree, Isaiah Simmons, like they, there's, you know, I did some team needs earlier in, um, early in the offseason. I usually did a position group for most teams, but for Dolphins, one of these was just defense. They need help at all three levels, and it seems like Isaiah Simmons is maybe one of those Derwin James, Jamal Adams type of talents where they actually can upgrade almost your entire defense in one pick. They're in the best-case scenario because they have their pick of the layer. The best player that falls to them, they just take and because that's the situation they've been building to. So – and I already have Tua off the board, but like, let's say Tua is there at three or four or wherever else, and mm-hmm. I could obviously see the Dolphins moving up to get him if they love him. But yeah, the Dolphins do have three first-round selections. At five, again, I mentioned Isaiah Simmons. Um, then at 18, Jordan Love I had them taking. And then at 26, I have them taking tackle out of USC, Austin Jackson. That's three pivotal holes that this team can fill. And you mentioned Isaiah Simmons. This is, Derwin James, I think, is a perfect comparison. Now, Derwin James coming out of FSU was considered a safety. Um, Isaiah Simmons is considered a linebacker, but it doesn't matter because on one snap, you could see him rushing off the edge. Then the next snap, you can see him as a single high safety covering the field outside the numbers. That's wild. You never see that before. But also, when we observe the league, that's a type of player that I'm not sure I would trust 20 defensive coordinators to know what to do with him. Sure. You know, they might only know to line him up in one spot and ask him to do the same thing play after play. I know Brian Flores might not be the exact defensive coordinator on that team, but I damn sure know that he absolutely would know what to do with Isaiah Simmons and to at least deploy him like the Patriots deployed Calvin Noy. And it's a good kind of question, I think, with a lot of these defenders particularly. Like, how much do you value versatility, the ability to play five positions at a solid level? Or why not go get Jeffrey Okuda, who hmm. we're probably more confident in that his one really high-level skill, just lockdown coverage, might be better than any one skill Simmons brings to the table. I want to quickly talk about number eight, though, before you have Okuda going to the Jaguars at nine, because you have Jedrick Wills going to the Cardinals at number eight. And yeah. much like McGregor Two Belts, I'm Daigle Two Mox, <laughs> and they come out not until April, <laughs> but I have it going on behind the scenes here, and I have C.D. Land to the Cardinals early. So you were saying that... You, your belief right now in March is that the Cardinals are prioritizing offensive line. I do, and it's because they need to find talents that are of equal talent to Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it the saying? The rising tide lifts all boats, something like that. And we watched Kyler Murray play last season, and in the passing game, he elevated the blocking around him. You mentioned that Atlanta Falcons game when he was pressured, was able to find yeah. time and hit receivers down the field. Um, but in the running game, I would say Cliff's zone scheme was able to elevate the talent of his blockers as well. But what if we could just, you know, pair D.J. Humphreys on the left side with Jedrick Wills on the right side? I would also say this. A lot of people are mentioning how good the wide receiver class in this group is. It it is. It's fantastic. I would suggest that the tackle class is just as good at the top. I mean, I have seven first-round tackles. Top-heavy, though, mock. right? It is. Yeah. So you have to get one early. The wide receiver class might not be top-heavy. You might be able to get players in the second and the third round that are very good. So at this spot, at number eight, Jedrick Wills does make a lot of sense. I mean, he, he has the athleticism to definitely hold up in Cliff Kingsbury's running scheme as well. I, 
Anything else, gentlemen? I was going to say I'm with you on number 10 for Andrew Thomas, a tackle to the Browns. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is very clear that is a position of need and what they're searching for in this draft. I don't know if it's Andrew Thomas just yet, but that's the player that's been linked to them, correct? And Indy? Yeah, a few. And Andrew Thomas is just like this nasty blocker. He's Mm -hmm. so much fun as a left tackle in Georgia. There's another few other fits that I really love, like Henry Ruggs to the Denver Broncos at 15, the speed wide receiver out of Alabama. So why not have Cortland Sutton on one side lining up in his man-to-man coverage, and then also having a speed and burner on the other side. And, and the rugs. Noah Fant going up the seam. I like it. Makes, um, makes you, a lot of sense to me. I, I have one real quick. Derek Brown, so he really did not do well with the combine and all that, right? But so are you kind of guessing that the Raiders, who last year, you know, with Jacobs and some of their picks, kind of, they're not slaves to athleticism scores, it seems like. They are not. Let me preface this really quick by saying Vic Tafur just wrote an article saying that the plan is for the Raiders to spend up in free agency mm-hmm. and draft for speed on offense. Now continue. Hmm. Well, that would throw a wrench in it. And obviously it free, just agency came out this morning. Is, free agency is going to throw a wrench in this. And that's why I get to write another one right after free agency. <laughs> because they have been linked to Chris Harris and Byron Jones so far. To answer your question on Derek Brown, uh, yeah, I mean, he ran the th- slowest three-cone of any defensive lineman. Okay. And I think a lot of people heading in you know, had expectations of him as an athlete, and he probably didn't meet those. That's okay. I mean, it's our own fault that we have expectations. But I just wouldn't necessarily list him as a top three, top five prospect in this class. And I think that he overpowered a lot of his opponents at the college level. But if you have, you know, below par, below average athletic testing along that defensive line or on the edge, to me it makes me question if you have the juice, And all the top pass rushers in the NFL have the juice, Mm -hmm. and they're able to get after the quarterback. There are a couple other connections that I absolutely love, by the way. Um, I know Philadelphia Eagles fans got mad at me for mentioning Jalen Rager there at number 21 out of TCU. He's kind of like a mini DK Metcalf in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. But that's because this team completely fell into a shell offensively. You guys would back this up without Deshaun Jackson. So while like someone like Jerry Judy, to me, is still on the board in that case, he's more refinement. And in this case, I'm going with the rocket ship in Jalen Rager. Yeah, that's kind of been consistent throughout Wentz's career when they, when they lose that field stretcher. I mean, even, you know, what was the difference between 2017 and 2018? In 2018, they tried to replace Torrey Smith and Mike Wallace. That didn't work. Mac Holland's experiment, that didn't work. Wentz just has not had a field stretcher in the offense other than the one game with Deshaun Jackson. And, you know, I know it was against Washington, but he sure as hell looked pretty good that game. So, yeah, if you can just add almost like a backup plan for Deshaun Jackson, I'm in. Playmaker on offense makes sense. That seems really early for Jagan Rieger, though. And I like him. Well, none of us know what's going to happen. Well, this yeah, is why it's, it's still early. Let, let me emphasize, I love doing mock drafts prior to free agency. Okay. I love it. Okay. <laughs> They're assigned to me. Hey, do, you, <laughs> do what you have passion for, man. What do you see the likelihood that one of, we got Kansas City at 32, let's say Tennessee doesn't re-sign Derrick Henry there at 29, yeah. Miami 26. Jonathan Taylor, can you sneak into the back of this first round? I don't think so. I thought Josh Jacobs was somewhat special coming out of Alabama. I'm not sure if I see a special talent in this running back class mm. at all. If you want me to crush your heart right now, it's mm. still early, but I was listening to the Football Guys podcast with Dane Brugler and Sigmund Bloom this morning. I know those guys. And Dane Brugler said the Lions are looking to go running back early in the second round, hopefully Jonathan Taylor, which would be the worst-case scenario for all of us because that also pretty much gets rid of on Johnson, After and it's the years. worst landing spot for Taylor. I mean, Carrion's not going to get a full-time But neither then would Taylor, who's right. supposed to be the next Daryl Henderson. You, so you, you never know, it. Josh. You never know. Again, you can find that full first-round mock draft up on Roto-World right now, and I'm sure you guys have 
checked it out five, 10, 20 times. Thank you. They appreciate it. I also want to point you to the MLB premium products. Yes, if you're also into fantasy baseball, now's the time to put in the work so you can be a draft winner. Let our friends on the Rotorold baseball team do the heavy lifting for you. Get that extra edge with rankings, custom projections, positional tiers, mock drafts, and more. They even have a new cheat sheet product if you're looking for something quick and easy to bring with you to your draft. Go to rotoworld.com slash win now and use promo code POD20 to get 20% off all MLB premium products. And a guy that is actually going to be on the MLB Fantasy Draft next week, that's Patrick Doherty. Patrick Doherty joins us on the phone right now. Pat, how are you, man? I'm good. So, yeah, I'm doing a baseball event. You know, I'm practically... This is why I get compared to Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, <laughs> Brian Jordan. Wow. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. I appreciate um, you coming with your best material today, Pat. You're a multi-tool player. Is that what they call those baseball people? Five-tool is when you're really good. Five-tool. Um, five, five, five does, does it mean to call Pat outdated for not taking the Kyler Murray comparison? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think Pat is just universally outdated. Um, okay, Pat. Except for, I'll just say, I... I put him on the cover of our magazine last year, and I called him Rare Bird <laughs> yes. in, a, in a nod to his dual sport status. Okay, there okay. You go. Um, okay, Pat, so this is how we plan these shows. I ask you what you want to talk about, and I loved your suggestion this time. Let's see if I can actually set this up correctly. Like, let's say you're at a party, right? And you're kind of in the corner. No one really knows who you are, mm-hmm. and the host might turn around and be like, why are you still here? It's, it's time to go. <laughs> These are all players, and tell me if I'm prefacing this correctly, Pat. These are players that you know once might have had a name, but by this point, we've kind of forgotten about them. It might be best for you to actually throw out the first one so we all get it here on the set. Yeah, this is kind of like, yeah, I don't know if anyone remembers the old like Deadspin segment. It was called, I think it was called Let's Remember Some Dudes. Yes, and I love it. It's like uh, <laughs> these are some dudes that still exist, even though they made it hard to remember that in 2019. And I was kind of hoping you would throw out the names because the first one I've never really known how to pronounce, but uh, Equanimius St. Brown. Yeah, I believe that is right. how you pronounce it. Uh, so first of all, anybody remember this guy? Uh, <laughs> I do. This time, <laughs> this time, two years ago, Equanimius St. Brown was somewhat of a draft darling coming out of Notre Dame and had some hype, but he did not go obviously until day three of the draft to the Green Bay Packers, but had some moments as a rookie. And didn't he only fall because he pretty much refused to play special teams? I think Matt Kelly told me that. There's part of that. I've also heard through the grapevine, well, his dad is like Mr. Olympia, like this this supreme bodybuilder, and his family are all fantastic athletes. I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but his dad does not allow his kids to stretch uh, because, (laughs) because cheetahs do not stretch. And so if cheetahs don't stretch, which they do, but if they don't, <laughs> then, then why should his son playing wide so receiver? so many questions. I am never struggling. But go ahead, Pat. We're on a tangent right now. Yeah, you could kind of – let's remember some dudes, the entire Packers receiver core. But do you guys – this is a trick. Do you, it's, I, was, I just gave the game away. Do you even remember if he played last year or not? I don't think um, he did. Did he? I don't, no, he didn't. So, yeah. and like I had like vague memories of him like playing early in the season, but he didn't. He, he missed the whole year. With the high ankle sprain, which was kind of red flag number one. I mean, that's a serious injury. But if you suffer a red, high ankle sprain in training camp and you get sent to injured reserve, I mean, the team is not really looking at you as a potential big time contributor that year. And you know, last year the, the Packers, when they didn't add to the receiver core, um, you know, shockingly in the draft or free agency, we kind of took it as a vote of confidence in all these guys. 
and uh, you know, it didn't pan out uh, with literally any of them. And now St. Brown, you know, he's already 24. He only has 21 career catches. There's going to be a real sense of urgency for the Packers, you know, to completely probably revamp their receiver core. And he's a, he's a dude we all kind of forgot last year. I think he's going to have a, a difficult time kind of getting himself back in the fantasy mind space going forward. What I remember most vividly about St. Brown is that when he came out of the draft, he was projected to be in three wide sets immediately, but then was outplayed in the preseason by both Marquez Valdez-Scanling and Jake Kumaro, which kind of foretold the rest of his career. Yeah, and then we had Jamon Moore was like the highest drafted one of, of that all group. Three, yeah, and then the answer this whole time was apparently Alan Lazard. So <laughs> Lazard, Lazard. Uh, but we we don't think the Packers just go into next season with the same pass catching group, right? That has to be priority number one heading into free agency and mm-hmm. heading into the draft because we saw that you know they bought into these second year players in some respects and MVS and ESB and none of them really panned out and I would just be furious if I were Aaron Rodgers that yes you need to add two or three or four new names for me this offseason. First name Robbie, last name Anderson. Ooh. Pat Good. Good. I've one. been I've been beating that drum all offseason, by the way. Uh, Robbie Anderson to the Packers is a dream. Uh, the second one, you know, a bigger name, so to speak, uh, than Equinemius. But, I mean, Traquan Smith, the mm. guy who basically kind of like, slept walked through the 2019 season. Another guy, not a guy that people had, like, really high, like, redraft fantasy expectations for last year, but kind of someone you were hoping would take another step forward, kind of increase his dynasty stock. You know, he had five touchdowns on 44 targets with Drew Brees as a rookie, looking like his profile was a deep threat game breaker, and he very much showed that as a rookie. But then, you know, last year was the ankle injury, uh, still no higher than fourth kind of on the targets totem pole. And uh, he's another guy. He's already going to be 24 this year. And I don't think he's going to like disappear from the NFL, obviously. But I think his window to become more than a role player has probably already passed, especially since, like I said, he's still got Jared Cook, Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara ahead of him in line for targets. And I just think he's someone I wanted to be more uh, than he like kind of like than he is right now. I wanted him to be more than just like a, a deep threat guy. And I think the window is probably closed for him to evolve into more than that. But I could be wrong. Yeah, that's why it's important with a lot of these uh, wide receivers. Even if you're a number two wide receiver somewhere, if it is an offense like New Orleans where you have Kamara, you have Cook, you know, you're actually the number four pass game option. And I'm not even sure if Traquan's going to get that because I think a lot of what Deontay Harris brought to the table last year was probably what they wanted from Traquan Smith just in terms of that, you know, kind of more elite field-stretching speed, the ability to, you know, take a hand off and make something happen. I wouldn't be shocked if Smith's not even three wide receiver sets next year. He was a top 100 pick. Um, and anytime you know the Saints spend a top 100 pick on a skill position player, we kind of buy into that. I would also add his strengths don't match up with Drew Brees' strengths right now. And that's probably Not a major anymore. part. Right, Pat. That's probably a major part of why he hasn't been able to take that next step. Don't you think? Yeah, and this was and like that was a role, you know, that had always existed in the Saints offense. And it's it's still kind of there. But it's definitely waned in importance. I just tweeted, I mean, Drew Brees has averaged 50 fewer passing yards per game over the past three years than he did the first six years of the decade. And it's just, uh, that was like an archetype in that offense that's kind of just fading away. And yet, it's just, I think we're all in the same. It's hard to see. He's going to be on the team. He's going to catch passes, but it's kind of hard to see the path to the next step for Traquan Smith in 2020. And just remember Michael Thomas's workload in general. 120 targets from Drew Brees. The next closest wide receiver, 33, Ted Ginn. Hmm. It's never a good thing when a player has almost half as much production he had in his first year. And that's exactly 
what happened he, with Trey. Still a good athlete, though. All right, Pat, give us another one of a player who is still here, yet we have forgotten about him. I mean, you guys probably remember this guy. I mean, maybe not. Have you guys ever heard of David Njoku? Yes. Um, by any chance. Uh, believe believe uh, he was, a, you know, he's like a seventh oh. round pick, undrafted free agent, I think. <laughs> never had any hype. Yeah, I never had any hype whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I mean, kidding. Former first rounder, still somehow only 23, by the way. Uh, he's like kind of in the Sammy Watkins school of always being 21 years old, 20 years old. <laughs> Uh, he turns 24 later this summer, but talk about another definition of a lost season. Uh, had the injury, was in the coach, you know, in the doghouse the second he came back. Uh, you know, part of his offseason narrative so far has been if they're, they might not even exercise this fifth year team option, which, you know, that's a really bad sign if you're a former first round pick. But I, I do, I'm, where I'm kind of fading ESB and Traquan Smith, I'm still, I'm going to remain on the Njoku train because. We know what a freak athlete he is, and we kind of we know how bad the Browns need this kind of player. I mean, they were historically inept in the red zone last year. I mean, maybe not statistically. I mean, they probably were statistically too. But I mean, why, was there a more painful team to watch in the red zone last year? And they need a huge athletic target like this. I mean, he can do damage in every area of the field. I'm not saying he's just like a Kyle Rudolph red zone type guy, but they really need a talent like this still. And we know the profile is just so great, and he was he was he was pretty much forgotten all last season. But he is a guy, or I could think he could finally. You don't want a first rounder to be a late bloomer, but I still think David Njoku could be a late bloomer. Yeah, it might be a stretch these days to kind of think he'll emerge as one of these you know top five producers at the position. But how in 2018 he was already top ten in catches, yards, and touchdowns at the tight end position. So I don't think we any of us saw, you know. Five catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown the entire season coming last year. Yeah, but, right. you know, there's we've seen him produce at an above-average level already. He's still plenty young enough and talented enough to get back to that. Yeah, he was one of the easiest fades last year. But, like, fading for a total of five catches, did obviously <laughs> did not see that coming. Yeah. So, if anything, just a late-round buy this year. Pat, we had Nathan Segura on this podcast during Combine Week, who obviously works for the Browns media department. And I think he's tight with... David Njoku. And, you know, you heard those rumblings towards the end of the season that Njoku might not be in this team in 2020, but that, you know, was when John Dorsey was a part of the team. That was when Freddie Kitchens was a part of the team. And now it certainly sounds like that David Njoku has, like, the second life with the Browns. And I would, I, I would be excited for that. I also believe Njoku is one of those prime candidates to be a breakout player wherever he plays on a second team or a second contract because he's definitely one of those that the development you see in spurts but might not really happen until he turns like 25 or 26 and has a few years under his belt in the NFL. Yeah, Andrew Barry, the new Browns GM, is on team in Joku. And, you know, maybe maybe he could be on the Eric Ebron trajectory or maybe going further back, maybe he could be on the Martellus Bennett trajectory, a guy who was hyped for like basically the entire life of his first contract and just never did anything. And you just don't, you don't give up on this kind of talent at the tight end position. And, you know, maybe... David Njoku hasn't seemed, you know, like the like the savviest football player just in terms of like decision making on the field. So maybe that's something he can never uh, get past. But I, uh, yeah, I still believe in David Njoku. The new Browns GM still appears to believe in David Njoku. And yeah, we all know it's one of the toughest positions in, in the NFL uh, to pick up. You know, he was last year was a big year for him, and he missed over half a year with an injury. Uh, yeah, I just I don't think it's time to turn out the David Njoku light just yet. I admittedly loved the idea of this segment when you pitched it last night, Pat. My only beef is that you 
finished with a finger roll as opposed to a dunk because <laughs> I expected you to swing for the fences. I wanted you to say, hey, do you remember that Devontae Booker is a third down running back and he's a free agent? Hey, do you remember that Theo Riddick started with the Lions and then ended up with the Broncos midseason and now he's also uh, available? Hey, do you remember that Justin Jackson averaged seven and a half touches the first month of the season <laughs> That's a good behind one. Austin Eckler and now Melvin Gordon's walking into free agency? Or do you remember that Mo Alley Cox now takes over Eric Ebron's role unless they add another tight end for their 12 personnel? Or do you remember that Lamar Miller wow. was projected for 240-plus carries oh, before he tore his ACL, and then they had to trade Martinez Rankin for Carlos Hyde and then a conditional fourth-rounder for Duke Johnson? I got one. I got one. C.J. Procise has played between five yeah. and nine games for oh, the Seahawks over the last four years. <laughs> Do you have I one? love it. I, love I mean, it. I'm just amazed that you hogged the mic for that long, John Dago. And that's a big assumption that Pack and Dunk. That's a big assumption. <laughs> hey, I could, I could get two to three inches away from the rim. I'm only 5'9", 5'10". <laughs> sure. And my favorite. higher hops than my height would suggest. And my favorite um, one, by the way, never forget that uh, a receiver got slapped with a four-game suspension last year, which thus so was supposed to let the receiver behind him walk into a starting role, but it just never clicked for Rashad Higgins. Never forget Rashad Higgins. Here's a name for never you. Forget, Go ahead, never Mike. forget Mo Ali Cox. I'm going to be hyping, I'm assuming, for like the 10th. He played college he's basketball. Been one of, Not sure if you heard. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like a member of the uh, T-shirts and shorts uh, Hall of Fame. So Here's a big one. Josh Reynolds. I think Josh Reynolds. Okay. Look, there might have been some buzz that in the Combine Week that the Rams are might be in a bit of a difficult cap situation. Right. They obviously cannot deal Todd Gurley. No one's going to want Brandon Cooks because of his injury history. So it wouldn't surprise me if another skill position player gets traded. That potentially might open the door for someone like Josh Reynolds to enter the lineup. No naming names here other than to say Josh Reynolds might be someone that could have a big 2020 season. 2020 49ers RB1, Jarek McKinnon, perhaps? If you out there, listeners, viewers, have any names, be sure to either put them in the comments, in reviews, or just tweet it at us. That works as well. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Pat, thanks for joining us. Diggsy, Ian, great to see you. As always, up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.